0: has engineered some very special weekends recently. The last two weekends we have had Ajay Lal and, and we have had Matt Proctor here with us and then to be able to come back this weekend and announce the things that we're doing which will involve a greater partnership with these ministries in the days ahead. We've had just two mountaintop experiences the last two weekends. And I've got a sense of destiny about the rest of this month. In the life of our church, as together we focus on a series of messages called God Works the Night Shift, or as we sometimes call it, the Graveyard Shift. This is the third eight hour segment in a 24 hour workday. So you've got the first shift, which is 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., then you've got the second shift, which is 4 p.m. to midnight. And then there's the third shift, or the night shift, is what we're talking about, from midnight until 8 a.m. Now, growing up, my father worked as a train dispatcher for the Illinois Central Railroad, and he consistently worked the night shift. And I thought it was a little strange, because he would come home from work just about the time that my brother and I were waking up and heading off to school. And then Dad would be getting up in the evening to eat a bowl of cornflakes just as we were sitting down to a plate of spaghetti. Sometimes I would lie in bed at night, and as I drifted off to sleep, I could hear him start the family car and back down the driveway to begin his 10-mile commute to the Illinois Central Division offices in Champaign. I came to think of it as normal that my father worked the night shift. Author Ron Mell describes these people who work the night shift. He says, it's a cop in a lonely squad car cruising dark, rain-lashed streets on a stormy night. It's a young father cleaning an office building, working a second job so he can support his family. It's an EMT crew at a firehouse, equipment at the ready, waiting for the phone to ring. It's a nurse moving from room to room, bed to bed, scanning monitors, charts, IV bottles, pulsating lights, and the drawn faces of men and women in sedated sleep. It's a road crew hurrying off to repair an on-ramp, smoothing the way for morning commuters. It's a young soldier shivering in the damp night, watching for the enemy, protecting his sleeping buddies, It's a pilot of a jumbo jet guiding his plane safely around turbulence while 358 souls doze in the seats behind him. So all this and much more is going on through the watches of the night. While most of us are getting undressed for bed, these people are getting dressed for work. When we are turning in, they're clocking in. And they're somewhere out there every night, and we need them, and we depend on them. While we're sleeping, they're working to keep us safe, and all of us want to feel safe. We want to know that our policemen will be on duty at night, those dark hours when bad things typically happen. We want our emergency room staffed and prepared to receive and treat us in the event we have a health crisis. We want our military on duty to protect us from foreign enemies. But where does our ultimate safety and security really come from? The Word of God answers this question with a single truth that is much bigger, much more profound, and it is this, that God, our Creator, our Heavenly Father, works the night shift and He is watching over you and me. Look at these inspired words from David in Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Now, David came back to this truth again and again throughout his life, especially during, during those chaotic and unsettled years when he was a fugitive. He was on the run for his life from King Saul, who relentlessly pursued him, desiring to kill David as a perceived rival for his throne. But David wrote in Psalm 3, verse 5, I lie down and sleep. <laughs> I rise up again, I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. You see, David was not anxious He was not sleepless. He was not insecure in spite of the fact that he faced a life-threatening situation. It didn't keep him up at night to know that his life and the lives of his comrades were in serious jeopardy. Look at his words in Psalm 4, verse 8. He writes, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. David lived with this rare and enviable confidence In God's vigilance, we tend to think that God is off somewhere in the universe attending to more urgent business, but David wrote in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So David did not see God as being more concerned about distant planets or falling stars or black holes. David is saying, God works the night shift for me and for you, He's busy on your behalf, even when you're not aware, even when you're fast asleep. So every day, when you awaken in the morning, when you first open your eyes, you can be sure of one thing, that God has been working the night shift. He's been watching over you, even when you might be tempted to feel He much doing much of anything in your life. You may feel that way. Honestly, as you sit in church here this morning, maybe you're struggling with an addiction. The victory hadn't come. Maybe you've been praying for months for the reconciliation of your marriage, but nothing seems to change. Maybe you've waited for the return of a prodigal son or daughter, but their bedroom is still empty and their place at your table is still vacant. Maybe you've dealt for years with chronic pain without relief, Maybe you have a health situation today that remains undiagnosed, untreated, and unresolved. Maybe you've experienced prolonged unemployment. Maybe you're facing bankruptcy if your business doesn't turn around soon. Maybe you can't get past the grief of infertility or the death of an infant Maybe you've been praying for a soulmate for years, but you just can't seem to connect with the right one. I want to challenge you this morning to push back on your feelings of hopelessness. If you have the idea that God doesn't know who you are, He doesn't know where you live, and He doesn't care about the dark days in your life, I want to challenge you to push back on that. God's Word says it over and over again in a hundred different ways. Your Heavenly Father watches over you day and night. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy declares that the eyes of the Lord are upon you from the beginning of the year even to the end of the year. 1 Peter 3.12 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Do you believe that? Do you feel... His eyes on you today. Are you confident that He is attentive to your prayers? What about First Peter 5, 7? Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Now, you may not be working on your timetable to resolve whatever it is that troubles you. He may not be working in ways that are obvious to you, but Jesus said He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, He provides for the flowers of the field, and then Jesus asked a rhetorical question, are you not of much more value to Him? The answer is yes, yes, we are much more valuable. And he keeps track of the number of hairs on your head and he knows every anxious thought that flickers through your mind. He knows every injustice you are suffering. He knows about your physical pain. He knows about your heartache. He knows about your loneliness. He knows about your frustrations. He knows about your woundedness. He knows about your scars. And listen, my friends, he cares. And he's working the night shift. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. He is working for your ultimate good, and He never takes a break, and He never clocks out, and He never quits, and He never needs a nap or a night's sleep. God works the night shift, even when nothing seems to be moving even when things in your life seem out of control, even when you feel totally afraid or alone. Well, back to our text, Psalm 121. This psalm is one of 15 songs of ascent. These were the songs or the psalms that the Israelites sang as they made their annual pilgrimage up to worship in Jerusalem. And for many of them, it was a long, hard trip. Travelers in those days were vulnerable. Lots of things could go wrong. Lots of bad things could happen. There were no interstate highways. There was no state police. There was no AAA. No cell phones. No well-lighted rest stops. So as people travel along, they sang this song. They sang this song. Psalm that was written by David to remind God's people about how he watches over them in times of danger. David wrote those lyrics I look up to the mountains. Now, the mountains represented the geographical location of their fears. There were wild animals in the mountains, there were robbers in the mountains, there were treacherous passages. In the mountains. There was exposure to unpredictable weather in the mountains. I look up to the mountains, David said. Where does my help come from? In other words, as I look up to what may be lurking ahead in my journey, who can I count on to protect me? That's, a, that's an unspoken devotional prayer of our own hearts, isn't it? You look at your life in the years ahead, aren't you? Sometimes tempted to say, I look up to the mountains. There are things that I anticipate in the future that I'm anxious about. Where does my help come from? And David would say, it comes from the Lord of heaven and earth. But there's something else possible here. The mountains were also the high places, and those were the locations where they built the pagan idols that were erected for idolatry, for, for a pagan worship. And so it could also be translated, I look up to the mountains, does my help come from there? David is declaring, no, I'm not counting on idols or false gods to protect me. So when he said, I look up to the mountains, it may have been a reference to non-existent deities. He said, I, I don't put my hope in Them, I look to a higher place. I look to the Lord of heaven and earth. That's where the real help comes from. But friends, listen, this morning, God's help is conditional. It depends on our submission to Him. And you see, if we decide that we're going to be self-reliant, we're going to be self-sufficient, we're going to go it alone on our life's journey, then God will step back because He doesn't intrude He has to be invited. He wants to be our guardian for our good because He loves every one of us, but He has to have our consent to work the night shift in our lives. So maybe before we trust Him to watch over us, we ought to know the benefits. So the question is, in what ways does God watch over us? God works the night shift. He's watching over us. Okay, how so? And in this psalm, We see his resume detailed. First of all, he's able to keep us from stumbling. That's what it said in verses 3 and 4. Now, when we're talking about stumbling, we're talking about harm that we often bring upon ourselves. One of the dangers of walking over the rough terrain was the risk of accidentally falling. One translation in verse 3 says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. Now, if you've ever sprained an ankle, if you've ever twisted a knee, if you've ever smashed a big toe, if you've ever broken a leg or a hip, you know that can be very painful. And of course, it's the kind of thing that happens by accident. It's not something that a person does intentionally. And it would be inconvenient to say the least to have something like that happen and you know that you've got a 50 or a 100 mile trek ahead of you. Walking was the basic mode of transportation in those days. Hurts to even think about having an injury like that and then having to walk a long distance. Well, what is true physically is also true spiritually. God is able to keep us from self-destruction, He is able to keep us from stumbling. He's able to keep us from attitudes and behaviors that would cause us to stumble. Now, when you come to a place that you decide you're going to trust God to watch over you, you're going to depend on Him to be the Lord of your life, if you make that decision, you are going to be saved from a lot of self-inflicted harm, a lot of stumbling. When you determine that His way is the best way, you're choosing a pathway of righteousness and peace that will bless you. It'll bless your loved ones. You're going to avoid a lot of stumbling through life. I recently heard Andy Stanley say that he was tired of hearing boring Christian testimonies about how someone was raised in a Christian family, raised by Christian parents, grew up in a Christian church, educated in a Christian school or college. He's tired about of hearing about People who did everything right. He said he much preferred to hear a testimony from someone who was converted to Christ from a life of addiction and obsession, a life of brokenness and bitterness, a life of disbelief and disobedience. And I understand what he's saying, and I, I too. Love those dramatic stories of victory in the lives of those who have previously stumbled badly in life. I love to hear from the people who have been rescued a yard from the gate of hell. And I've only got compassion and admiration for people who have come home to the Father from the far country. At the same time, I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to run away from the Father's love. I don't want to grieve the father's heart. I don't want to wake up one day in a swine pit. I want to have I want to have a boring testimony. And you know what else? I want my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to have boring testimonies. Even with a boring testimony, I'm still a sinner helplessly dependent on the grace of God. I know better than anybody else. But if I'm choosing for myself and my posterity, I want us all to stay out of the far country. I want us to stay home, but not be smug and self-righteous like the elder brother in Jesus' parable in Luke 15. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can be close to the Father without messing up your life with a lot of unnecessary stumbling first. And He's able, willing and able, to keep us from stumbling if we'll let Him. Well, then there's this. He's also able to shield us. Now, you see that in verses 5 and 6. And here we're talking about the harm that is imposed by circumstances that are beyond our control. You see, not only did a traveler have to fear the possibility of being incapacitated by his own stumbling or falling, there was another danger. It was imposed by external circumstances. Sunstroke, dehydration, verses 5 and 6 say, the Lord is the shade, your shade at your right hand. And it says, the sun will not harm you by day. So He's able to give us relief. He's able to provide shade from the harshness of the sun's rays. I think this represents the unavoidable trials. We can't keep the sun from shining. So we're talking about unavoidable trials imposed by living in a fallen world, trials that that cannot be controlled simply by making good decisions. God's always present in our lives once we trust Him to watch over us. He follows us everywhere we go like our shadow. So when the sun beats down and you see your shadow, remember Hebrews 13, 5. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Your own shadow can serve as a reminder of His presence. Here's what this means. God will protect you from anything bad that you are powerless to control in your life if it's something bad that happens, he knows that you can handle it or he would not permit it. He will provide a way that you will be able to endure it. No Christian, no child of God can say, my trials, my troubles are more than I can bear. No, because nothing will happen to you today Nothing good, nothing bad. Nothing will happen to you today or any day without passing through your Father's hand. Look at this verse or these verses in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people, but God keeps His promise and He will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you're put to the test, He will give you the strength to endure it and so provide you with a way out. Listen, if you could not handle a particular trial, your vigilant, ever-present, ever-protective Heavenly Father would shield you. He would not let you go through it. So look at the dark days in your life as a test for which you have already been given the right answers. Look at the dark days in your life as a test you've already passed in advance. So what are those circumstances beyond your control? Unemployment, special needs child, pending divorce, lawsuit, a health struggle, A terminal diagnosis, your father is right there beside you, your shadow, your shade from the harsh sun, he is Lord of heaven and earth, and if you put your trust in him, you are not alone, and he will not let you experience anything in life that you cannot handle. He is willing and able to shield us. Finally, there's this, he's able to defend us. Now, we're talking here about the harm that is imposed by the evil in this world and in the world to come. So we're not talking here about the natural world, we're not talking about just the bad things that can happen in life, we're not talking about circumstantial stuff, we're talking here about evil intent. We're talking here about the strategy that is very real in our world today, and there's no thinking person that denies that evil is very real in our world. It is absolutely all around us. It's pervasive, and it is deep, and it is frightening, unless we have a defender. Probably the most frightening danger posed to travelers in that day was not the possibility of falling or the chance of being overcome by heat stroke, but the presence of evil persons who who might do them harm. Bandits, Bandits were a real problem. They knew that travelers on their way to Jerusalem to worship would have offerings with them, and so the robbers back then wouldn't think twice about stealing your possessions, possibly even taking your life. But the child of God could testify that the Lord will watch over your... Life, it's translated this way in another another translation, He will preserve your soul. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So, does this mean that evil will never touch or hurt us? No. No, it doesn't mean that. Think about the students at the Umpqua Community College in Oregon just this past week, Christopher Mercer took nine lives in ten minutes, reportedly shooting Christians in the head and wounding others. He ordered one of the victims, you in the orange shirt, stand up. What religion are you? Are you a Christian? The boy stood up and said, yes. Then the pop of a single gunshot and a thud as a Christian young man in the prime of life dropped to the floor. So what about it? Where was God, who is able to defend? Well, he's right where he was when young Stephen was martyred. 20 centuries ago. In the book of Acts chapter seven, Stephen preached a spirit-filled message to a mob that seethed with hatred, and just as they were about to rush him and tear him to pieces, his eyes were open, and he said, but he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, he didn't expect to see it, he said, look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It's obviously the worst moment in Stephen's life. Or was it? He died with a vision of heaven. He died with his eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus and God the Father, his hand reached out to the firm, warm grasp of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say and do all kinds of evil against you. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I take it that Jesus is saying if someone, if anyone is martyred for their faith, the Lord who watches over your coming and going both now and forevermore as his child, he's promised a great reward in heaven. So God can take the ultimate evil in this life. Wouldn't you agree that that the ultimate evil in this life is the brutal torture and execution of an innocent? Whether it's a child or a senior adult, the brutal torture and execution of an innocent, God can take that and turn it into a great victory. He turned it in to the greatest victory, you know. Brings us to Jesus and the cross. Jesus never stumbled. He's tempted in all the same ways we are, yet without sin. He never stumbled. But Jesus experienced trials and trouble. He did. He could have controlled it, and he chose not to. And there there was even a time when Jesus felt forsaken by God. So if you ever feel forgotten by God, forsaken by God, God is not there for you, be reminded that Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even though Jesus felt forsaken in that moment, he was not forsaken. Jesus was even victimized by evil for a few hours but he rose from the dead in victory and God has given him a name that is above every name and so God works the night shift he watches over us (laughs) he's able to keep us from stumbling he's able to shield us and he's able to defend us do you know him today? This morning, if you need a prayer partner, you may be going through a dark time, a dark season, dark days. I know in an audience this large that there are several who are. If you need a prayer partner this morning, we want to encourage you to remain in the worship center after we dismiss and so we can come and bear whatever burden it is with you in prayer. If you need to make a decision about a savior, there are probably some in our audience this morning who are going it alone through life you know you need a Savior and you want to talk a little more about Jesus today, we want to talk with you. If you know you need a church home, we want to talk with you. Just remain seated after our service. Our section hosts, our pastors will come to you. Will you stand with me for prayer? Father God, I... Thank you so much for the confidence of David that is communicated through this psalm, this song of ascents as we look ahead to the mountains in our lives. Thank you that we can know that our help comes from the Lord of heaven and earth. Lord, we know that the strongest among us is frail, the smartest, the physically most physically fit the most well healed financially is just not equal to what's in the mountains and so Lord we thank you that you are the Lord of heaven and earth and we've learned some things about you today that will keep us from ever feeling forsaken We thank you for the assurance that we have that you are watching over us that your eyes are on us (laughs) From the beginning of the year, even to the end of the year, in Jesus' name we pray.